now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Good news is your dates are here. What's the bad news? They're dead. See, a United States Astro Robot becomes a creature of death. And these. We have come here to this planet for one purpose only, to acquire breeding stuff to repopulate our planet. Welcome to Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. From class to cults and all the cheatings in between, the movies are B, but the entertainment is grade A. And I am your host, Mr. Jason Giaconetti, and this one, this is a solo effort. So today, I'm going to be talking about 1972's Horror Express, and we'll get to it right after this. For two million years in these subterranean caves, a creature of superhuman evil was entombed in a wall of ice, waiting to be free, waiting to live again. Travel with us on a journey into a world where nightmare becomes reality. Two million years ago. Got out of that crate, killed the baggage man and put him in there. Yes, I am. It's alive. It must be. Travel with us, if you dare, on the Horror Express. No one can stop the fury and the terror of the Horror Express. Quiet! I don't want to panic the passengers. Express was released September 30th, 1972 at the Stieg's uh, Film Festival in Spain. 
It didn't make its debut in America until uh, one year later. In fact, it was a little more than a year. is November 30th, 1973 in New York. Um, it has a 90-minute running time. The budget was about $300,000. It's kind of hard to nail down exactly how many uh, or how much uh, the movie made. Um, they do have a thing here that it did do over 755,000 admissions just in Spain alone. So if you figure uh, this movie had to make some money at a $300,000 budget, if you're figuring maybe there's a dollar return per admission or something along those lines. Um, the movie was directed by uh, Eugenio Martin. Now, that name is not one that rings a lot of bells with me. Um, he's known for making some genre movies in the 60s and 70s. Bad Man River, The Bounty Killer. The biggest one he made was actually Horror Express um, because, you know, obviously we're using, you know, the actors who are involved here and Horror Express has become kind of a cult hit uh, in the last few years. In fact, even showing up on uh, the on Creep Show um, this past, uh, I think it was season two. Yeah. Um, but be it as it may, your uh, screenplay was by uh, Arnard. Dinuso and Jillian Zemet, who actually got credit as Julian uh, heavily here. Uh, your story was also by Eugenio Martin, produced by Bernard Gordon. Um, and then you're going to have your distribution uh, was by Rigo Films, Arturo Gonzalez in Spain, and Gala Film Distribution in the UK. Uh, and then um, this was a joint Spanish and UK production. And we'll talk a little more about, about that in a second. And as I mentioned, this movie has become kind of a cult hit. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that many of us saw this movie when we were younger. Uh, and to be honest with you, if you saw this as a younger uh, viewer and you had any knowledge of, you know, amicus films or more appropriately, Hammer films, you thought this might have been a Hammer or Amicus production, definitely a British production. But this was a lot of this actual production took place and a lot of the, these, the actors and stuff in here are, are you know, from Spain, uh, which is not something I actually knew too much about until the last few years. I, for a long time, thought this was a British production that had maybe just brought in some people or maybe they shot on location and stuff like that. And I was like, man, this has got to be Amicus or this has got to be maybe one of those companies that was trying to get in on the game. And the reality is Horror Express... Um, even though it stars Peter Cushing and uh, Christopher Lee and Telly Savalas, um, is not a, a strictly British production, and it's it's much more a Spanish production. Uh, we we again mentioning those already; those were um, some of the biggest part of this thing. Um, in your development time in this, it's actually American screenwriter and producer uh, Bernard Gordon who collaborated with Martin to make uh, a movie called Pancho Villa. Um, which also featured Telly Savalas in the title role. Um, after they did that, Martin had made Horror Express as part of a three-picture contract um, he had, and was able and had since um, he had Philip Jordan and Savalas under contract, he used them in this picture as well. Uh, you will notice that um, a lot of this stuff is shot in. A lot of it's on the train. It was actually filmed in Madrid in 1971 and 72, and that allowed them to keep the, the budget a lot lower um, by having, again, actors that people knew, Cushing, uh, Lee, and Savalas, in it, but it, it kept your, what do you call, down. Um, and then a lot of the stuff that we said was shot on the train. 
Um, it's it's a period piece. Uh, well, technically, yes. This doesn't play place in the 70s. It's a period piece. Uh, the movie actually was called originally in, in Spanish. Well, I'll say the English part. The Spanish name literally means Panic on the Trans-Siberian. Uh, so let's get into what's going on. So the, again, like I said, this is a period piece. So it is set in, 19, in 1906, um, taking place on a Trans-Siberian Railroad. And we'll talk about what's going on. All right. In, in 1906, Professor Sir Alexander Saxton, okay, now um, a renowned British archaeologist, is returning from to, to Europe by the Trans-Siberian Express from Shanghai to Moscow. Now, Dr. Uh, Dr. Excuse me, Sir Alexander Saxton is actually played by Christopher Lee. Uh, we <clears throat> we see Christopher Lee, um, you know, in the in in you know in the cave, and they're they're getting something out, and he's bringing this crate back with him. With him is a crate containing a frozen remains of a primitive humanoid creature that he discovered in the cave in Man in Manchuria. He hopes it's the missing link in the human evolution. We'll just stop there for a sec. Yeah, Christopher Lee is in this, and he's playing, you know, an English, uh, you know, an archaeologist and stuff like that. So he's very respected, and he has this new thing, and this looks to be possibly the missing link, and that's what he's really hoping for. He he's found the missing link because that's going to bring him a lot of fame and fortune, as you would expect. Uh, Doctor Wells, um, who's Saxton's friendly rival and a geological society colleague is also aboard is also on board but traveling separately. Now, that's that's Peter Cushing. And in this movie, um, Christopher Lee, I mean, he doesn't come across as a very nice person, uh, but he's very focused on what he's doing. Peter Cushing's character kind of does some things you're like, okay, like that's kind of a jerky move, but you would think like if you're kind of friendly rivals, they clearly are not friends, but they are colleagues and they kind of, you know, understand you know each other and whatever kind of might be there it's just he kind of come i mean some of the stuff he's like, he's like bribing people to get a look at this or doing this it's not exactly stuff you would expect from a proper english gentleman all the time but at the same time it totally fits with the way their relationship is uh where were we here um before the train departs shanghai a thief is found dead on the platform his eyes are completely white without irises or pupils and a bystander Initially mistakes it him to for a blind man. He does look, in fact, blind. What he does is he goes and he look. He he's able to get into the crate and the crate, and he looks upon whatever is in that crate, that missing link, right? Um, and then he's stricken blind. His eyes are completely milked out, and someone said he's a he's he's blind. But clearly he's a thief, so he wouldn't be a blind thief. Um, but there again, it's leading to the kind of confusion about. Who's who? What's going on? And what? Why is this here? And uh, you know the idea that Professor Alexander Professor Saxton is desperate to keep his crate closed, is desperate to keep prying eyes off of it because again, if it's the missing link, this is a big discovery for him, and he doesn't want someone else trying to steal his discovery. So, um, Rary, the Polish count, uh, the Polish count Marian uh, Petrovsky and his wife, Countess Irina, are also waiting to board the train with their spiritual advisor, an Eastern Orthodox monk named Father Pudaro, uh, who proclaims to Saxton that the content of the crate is evil. Saxton fiercely dismisses this as superstition. 
His eagerness to keep his scientific uh, finds secret arouses a suspicion of Wells, who bribes a porter to investigate the crate. This is what I was talking about. The idea that like the that Wells would be like, well, I need to know what's in there. And again, curiosity kills the cat, right? But it's not Dr. Wells getting his hands dirty. He's having a porter go look. He's it's it's all the different things there. Now we see the the uh, the count and the countess um, here. The count uh, we will learn more about him in a minute. And the countess, of course, Irina, um, has gone on to become as part of this movie's become a cult movie. She's become very famous um, for uh, you know just being well. The young lady who's playing her. Uh, is is you know obviously uh, you know a good looking woman. It's not like we're having uh, the Countess Irina is played by. Let me find it right here, as I'm looking very quickly. Um, is played by Sylvia uh, Torta Tortosa, um, and the you know she's gone on to she went on to um, to play. She was in Lorelai's Grasp, the girl uh, from the Red uh, Cabinet or uh, Cabernet. Uh, unfinished business in Toby. She only made a handful of movies, um, but you know, she again a Spanish actress and stuff who is obviously still technically active. But she went on to make those. Those are those are some of her more famous films, uh, you know. So, but she's become the cult stuff that follows this movie around. One uh, is kind of. I mean, you kind of have to either you know Horror Express or you've never heard of it. And if you've heard of Horror Express, you've definitely had an experience probably very similar to. Many other people, what they're talking about. All right. Uh, the porter is killed by the defrosted humanoid within who escapes the crate after picking the lock. So our porter is now killed. The humanoid finds more victims as it roams the moving train. Each is found with the same opaque white eyes. Autopsy suggests that the brain of the victims are being drained of their memories and knowledge. Okay. So what happens is they're doing these autopsies. They cut open the... They, they see the eyes. or They know these people aren't blind. They cut open the heads... And they see that the brain is completely smooth, which is I mean, which is insane because your brain isn't completely smooth. It has wrinkles. But what's happening is this creature is able to not only through the eyes, it's taking all the knowledge out of their brain and it's it's actually smoothing their brain out, which is really kind of weird um, because what it's doing is it's it's draining them of their not of their knowledge. Right, and this is always kind of the funny part when it's like, "I'm gonna suck your brain and take your knowledge." For those of you who know your Planet Terror reference, um, that that the idea that it's acting like a vampire. So this creature, which looks like you know the missing link, is acting like a vampire, but it's not stealing the blood; it's stealing the knowledge. So it's draining out all the knowledge and leaving them empty and hollow on the inside. Uh, one of the victims is a spy sent to discover the secret behind uh, Count Pe uh, Petrovsky's, who has invented a type of steel, who has invented a special type of steel. When the humanoid is gunned down by the police inspector Murrow, uh, the the um, threat seems to be eliminated. Saxton and Wells discover that the external images are retained by the liquid found inside the corpse's eyeball which reveal a prehistoric Earth and a planetary view from space. So let's stop right there for a second. So this is 1906. This isn't 1972. It's 1906. The idea that something could have seen the Earth from outside is telling them, well, this must be some alien who's come to this planet. 
And it can, if it's actually seen dinosaurs, and let's be very honest, when they're looking at, they see the pictures of dinosaurs, they're just pictures of dinosaurs, of, of drawings of dinosaurs. But you have to kind of buy into the whole plot of the movie. Uh, the idea is that it's now been here that long. It literally has been here since the time of, since prehistoric times, and it's been absorbing knowledge the entire time. Um, where So what happens now is, excuse me, uh, they deduce that the real threat is the um, is a, for, a formless extraterrestrial that inhabits the body of a humanoid and now resides within the inspector. So what happens is after he's been gunned down by Mir uh, Mirov, um, the the creature is able to uh, the, the 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 alien force, however you want to describe it, the the you know the the uh, formless extraterrestrial, as it says here, is able to jump. Kind of like in the movie The Hidden, but that's a little different. That's not formless, right? It jumps from the corpse into the inspector. And we see that because the inspector's eyes in the dark, uh, you know, kind of thing. In the dark, the eyes glow differently. His hand becomes uh, hairy and, and clawed. So it, it's very easy to tell that the inspector, something's wrong with the inspector. But when the lights are on, he appears relatively normal, except for the hand and the fact that he's acting a little weird. So, um, where are we? Uh, Pudarov sensing a greater ex uh, presence within the inspector um, and believing it to be Satan, renounces his face and pledges allegiance to the alien. So that is the that is the that is the uh, Eastern Orthodox monk, um, Father uh, Pudarov, who is who is with the Tsar and the Tsar, and the Tsarina, uh, not the Tsar. Excuse me, the Countess and the count and, and the, the Countess and the Count. Uh, what happens here is you now have the priest uh, believing that this, in fact, is Satan possessing him, renounces his faith, and now becomes trying to be loyal to the inspector who wants no part of him, um, because he, as he, as he, he says to him, he goes, "You contain, you have nothing. I want the alien doesn't want anything from him. It's looking for information." To gather, and this he looks at the monk or the priest, you know, as as someone he's not going to be very useful to him. News of the murder is wired to the Russian authorities. Um, at this point, we have, uh, you know, a a band of um, uh, Russian military uh, in the train. So an intimidating, xenophobic, and power crazy Cossack officer named Captain Kazan. That is Telly Savalas, who is chewing scenery like literally he hasn't eaten in weeks. Um, boards with a handful of his men. Kazan uh, believes the train is transporting rebels. And he is only convinced of the alien existence when Saxon switches off the lights and Mirov's eyes begin to glow, revealing him to be the alien host. So this is interesting here. They have deduced, because they start checking everybody in the eyes, and everyone's eyes check out. And once they turn, once they realize that the eyes don't glow until it's in the dark, they kill the lights, and right there, immediately the inspector's eyes are glowing red, which gives him away as being the alien. Uh, the where are we here? Um, it has absorbed the memories of Wells' assistant, the train driver, and others aboard, and now seeks the Polish Count's uh, metallurgic knowledge in order to build a vessel to escape Earth. That's the key. That's why the Count has to be there. The Count has this knowledge of this, this new metal um, that is going to allow him that weighs nothing but is stronger than any steel they have. And this is what the alien is looking for. He's looking for knowledge that can help him build a ship to get off of Earth. 
Uh, and again, remember, this isn't 1972. This is 1906, at least in the story. So that the idea that he needs this information to get there. Uh, Kazan stabs Miro with a um, Shaska and then shoots him. Uh, with Mirov dying, the alien trans, uh, tra- you know, transfers itself into the into the monk. So now they think they've controlled this because well, we killed, you know, we killed the pre, we killed the inspector who was whatever. Well, the inspector now is clearly not possessed by the alien anymore. The alien is now in the in in the priest or the father, right? The passengers begin to free to the brake van with. Um, uh, P- P- Pajarov murdering Kazan, his men, the Count, and draining all of them of their memories. So he's now now not only is he taking all of the the guard the 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 you know, soldiers' memories, he's taking the Cossacks' memory, he's taking the Count the Count's memories, he's taking all of that as he goes. He is a a mental vampire. So it's kind of a weird uh, mix here because again he's a vampire in that he's stealing your memories. But he's also at the same time, I mean, he's killing a lot of people. It's not that he's not killing a lot of people. He is. Um, but it's weird because, it's you know, we're, we have Christopher Lee, who is arguably the greatest Dracula of all time, in this movie. And this vampire, not played by Lee, obviously, is draining off knowledge instead of draining off the blood to kill them. Uh, where are we here? So Saxton uh, rescues the Countess. And um, holds uh, Podarov at gunpoint. Saxon has discovered that the bright red, the bright light prevents the alien from draining minds and transferring to another body, forcing Podarov into a brightly lit area. The alien um, ex- uh, explains that it's a collective form of energy from another galaxy. So this is kind of really interesting. Instead of it just being an alien we get to see, kind of like, you know, I guess I mentioned the hidden already, where it's coming out of the body, or even like Night of the Creeps, or anything like that, where it's something you can see, this is just a consciousness. It's something that's formless and be able to transfer. It's such a good concept because it's, I don't remember anything before this being similar, and it makes it super cheap to shoot. Because you don't have to actually make an alien suit. You don't have to make a, you know, the creature in this is just the... The, the 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 missing link, but you don't have to go through and start making a you know a special alien thing. They don't have to fight little creatures, any of those things. It actually is pretty pretty intelligent there on their part. Trapped on Earth in in the distant past after being left behind by accident, it survived for millions of years in the bodies of protozoa, fish, and other animals. It can't live outside a living being longer than a few moments. The alien begs to be spared tempting Saxon with the advanced knowledge of technology and cures for diseases. Now, we know that Saxton desperately wants to have this great find, and the missing link he thinks he found is turned out to not be the missing link. It still could possibly be the missing link, but it's that's not going to be the great find here. So it's, it is inviting to Saxton that maybe this is going to be what I'm going to do. I'm going to be this great man to be able to curious things. But Saxton refuses the bargain, and the alien resurrects the Count's corpse and attacks him with it. Saxton and the Countess flee, but the alien resurrects all the victims as zombies. So now this is the crazy part. We haven't seen this yet, but he now is able to use his his control to resurrect all of these bodies. So you now have this turned into a zombie movie. So this movie goes from 
you think it's a missing link film. He's going to be some creature killing people, kind of like a Bigfoot or, you know, Sasquatch kind of thing, like whatever. It turns out it's not that. It's now a mental vampire movie, but it's also an alien movie, and it's draining their memories and leaving them all dead. But now it can now it brings them all back as zombies. So you now have a zombie outbreak movie on a train. Not very different than Train to Busan, but yet it is very it's different than it, but you know, the same idea. All those same concepts that you talk about in Train to Busan, for those of you who didn't listen to the Vault episode, it's got off you know some naughty words in it, so just kind of keep it away from the kids. But when we talk about tra- Train to Busan, and if you haven't seen it, you're missing a great movie. The that the idea that you're trapped on that train. Like it's it's very you know there's no, there's there's no left and right there's just you know up you know you know you can go forward or backwards pretty much all you got so what happens now is you're kind of in that same situation here and we already know everyone's at the back of the train so there's they're running out of train to run to um, Saxon and the Countess flee and they're okay so there's zombies fighting their way through the train Saxon and the Countess uh, eventually reach the van where the other survivors have taken refuge. Saxon and Wells desperately uh, work desperately to uncouple the van from the rest of the train. Uh, Kazan's superiors send a telegram to the dispatch station, instructing them to destroy the train by sending it down the, si- the siding overlooking the gorge. Speculating that war has broke out, the station staff throw the switch. Not, not let's stop the train and shoot everybody. Let's just wreck the train off the side of a mountain. And that's what they're wanting to do. And the alien takes control of the train as it enters the siding. Um, Saxon and Wells finally manage to separate the van. The alien tries to find the handbrake but fails to slow down the train. And it plows through the buffer stop and plunges down the deep cliff crashing at the bottom. Now, when you look at this, you can tell this is a model. But at this point, folks, you have bought into the whole concept of this movie. You have to understand what it was shot at. They're not going to ever wreck a real train to get the shot here. They were wrecking a model train, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Yes, I know some people like to nitpick. But again, some people like to nitpick things for no reason. There's no reason for it here at all. Um, It looks fine. Uh, Where are we here? So... um, the van, meanwhile, rolls precariously close to the edge of the track, finally stopping inches from the cliff. Saxon and Wells and the Countess and the survivors gaze over the ravine as the inferno engulfs the, the, engulfs the train and the alien inhabitants. And then that's the end. Now, um, what we're talking about here, again, is a movie that has gained cult status because, again, it made money in 1972. But let's be very honest. A movie like this... Again, nothing wrong with it. I enjoy this movie. I've seen this movie a number of times. I own the Blu-ray of it. Um, I think it's an Arrow release. i got to check. It might be an Arrow release of this. It's pristine. The problem is, we all know what happens in the mid to late 70s. You start getting, you know, Star Wars and Exorcist and the Omen. Like, you start getting these huge movies where budgets start getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so some of these small movies, if you didn't see them, um, you know, when they first came out, they might have gotten lost in the shuffle. And that's not to say that there weren't big movies before, because there were, but we now saw, like, what's happening is movies that fit into the genres getting major, major budgets. They're not all just dramas or, you know, musicals or whatever. Genre movies, movies that are, you know, are science fiction and horror and whatever, that movies that normally wouldn't have got that much attention are now getting a lot of mainstream airplay. 
um, for whatever the reasons. It could be controversial, it could be that it was outstanding, whatever it might be. But once your genre movies start becoming more mainstream and getting bigger budgets and stuff, um, some of these smaller movies have a harder time kind of getting on. And let's be honest, there was no home video yet. This was this wasn't the you know the eighties. This is the this is the seventies. There's there's not you know, VHS. Uh, you know, if you had some kind of machine at home, it was rare. You people didn't have tons and tons of movies available to them. There was no real cable, quote unquote, to speak of at this time. It just becomes harder and harder to to see certain things. And again, this is one of those things that you would have had, um, you know, probably if, if you had saw it maybe on like, I don't want to say the 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 um, million dollar movie like on WOR, but this would have been on like in in not necessarily the seventies, but later on the eighties. This would have been a movie on like Channel Five. Okay, so WNYW. Um, it would have been on one of their like afternoon movies. They'd have this on, like a kung fu movie. You know, that's where you probably would see these things. There's no blood per se. I mean, remember they're cutting their heads open, but they're you know their brains are completely smooth. There's no blood. There's no nudity. There's no language. There's nothing you really need to cut out for television. So this is a perfect kind of movie if it was in syndication that a channel would like to show. Um, and uh, there was a special edition Blu-ray DVD release. Um, in 2011 by Severin Films, which I don't own, but the Arrow film released the new Blu-ray edition, which cleaned this thing way up in 2019. Um, and like I said, I mentioned, um, this actually is in the two 2021 um, uh, season two of Creep Show, the new Creep Show. Um, and the episode is called Night of the Living Late Show. And in the episode, Justin Long plays a guy who is trying to uh, who has a virtual reality experience where you put yourself into a movie, and he keeps going back into Horror Express. Um, and I got to be honest, when I saw that episode, I'm like, "Oh, Horror Express! I love that movie." You know, kind of, and kind of spurred me on to thinking about this movie when it was time to kind of watch it. And if you haven't seen that episode, I don't want to ruin it for you. Uh, if you enjoyed the Creep Show stuff, you know, great. If you didn't enjoy them, that's fine too. Um, it's just a really weird kind of episode for. Well, I don't say it's weird. Uh, Creep Show is not Tales from the Crypt, and I think people need to kind of remember that. Um, not everything is, you know, gross and whatever kind of thing. Some of the stuff is just about people getting their comeuppance and stuff. Anyway, have you seen Horror Express? Is this a movie you saw as a kid? Is this a movie you saw in the 70s, maybe? So if it came out in 72, debuted, 73-ish, probably in America, this could have been playing at drive-ins as a double feature. Did you see this? You know, do you like Horror Express? Is it a movie you enjoy? Um, I'd love to hear from you. I'm, I'm sure Dad would love to hear from you too. Um, you know, and the idea though too was when you think about movies like The Horror Express, and 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 some of those things. This is a kind of movie where um, you know, if you were not well versed in in your Hammer and your Amicus, you know, your British horror, um, you might have seen this before you saw any of those British horror, and you'd be like, oh. Okay, I don't know who these guys are, but they clearly are the you know the stars of the movie. I mean, Telly Savalas was kind of hard. I mean, let's say he's Kojak. Telly Savalas is kind of hard not to know who he is if you, if you were a certain age. And I'm not someone who watched Kojak, but I I know who that was the whole time. Who loves you, baby? Right. So I mean, to me, Telly Savalas will always be in the Dirty Dozen and things like that as well. You know, this is a kind of movie that if you haven't seen this before, it's worth your time watching. Um, it is usually on uh, Prime Video, um, uh, you know, right on Amazon Prime. 
It's probably available through a number of other places. Like I said, the Blu-ray is outstanding. The, the Blu-ray is outstanding. Um, that's that's where I, I wind up watching the Blu-ray because it's just pristine. Um, but I'm saying it's often available in those other places as well. So well worth your time to check it out if you've never seen it. If you have seen it, it's, it's well worth the revisit. Um, you know, the only reason why Dad and I aren't doing this one together because I'm sure he likes this movie was just timing, just trying to get some timing um, of things. Uh, you know, working around different schedules and stuff like that. And you know, I was able to get it watched, and um, just the time crunch came down where it's time to actually get things done. So, um, and again, this is celebrating its 50th anniversary. So this is a you know, I try, try to grab you know things on their anniversary years to kind of give it some you know maybe maybe shed light on us you know a movie you haven't seen in a while. So again, if you've seen it and you love it, let us know. If you haven't seen it, you watch it. Let me know what you think. We had, we'd love to hear from you. So we're at that time we start thinking what comes next. Now this is the November episode, so we're getting to the fall, and now we're getting close. You know, Thanksgiving's right around the corner. Now in past years we have tried to get the biggest turkeys we can for uh for thanksgiving and what happened again again we're talking about trying to get timing the plan right now which always could change because the only thing for sure is nothing for sure is that i'm gonna i'm gonna be bringing you a heck of a turkey this year 1962's jack the giant killer now i'm gonna be very honest i watched the regular version not the musical there's a musical oh there's a musical and we will talk all about that on that episode because there is no bigger turkey that I could come across right now than Jack the Giant Killer. And we're going to talk about the 1962, the regular version of it. Um, I'll talk about the musical part of it, but that's what I'm going to be here to talk about. Um, if schedules work out, there may be a guest. We may have someone with me, or it might just be me talking to you around Thanksgiving. So, with that being said, folks, I hope you enjoyed. Um, Horror Express. I hope you will join us for Jack the Giant Killer. Thank you for all the downloads and listens and the support. We love all that stuff. Um, and again, folks, as we're getting into these, you know, these months here, we're getting, you know, into November and stuff. Just make sure you take time to appreciate um, and spend some time with loved ones and stuff like that. I know we talk more about that. We get into like Thanksgiving and then the Christmas stuff and whatever, but. It's just, uh, you know, to enjoy the time with your loved ones um, and, you know, enjoy things that actually bring you joy. So, uh, like we say around here, folks, keep those cards and letters coming and keep watching the skies. This is Tokyo, once a city of six million people. What has happened here was caused by a force which up until a few days ago was entirely beyond the scope of man's imagination. Tokyo, a smoldering memorial to the unknown. An unknown which at this very moment still prevails and could at any time lash out with its terrible destruction anywhere else in the world. Hi folks, Luke Giaconetti here. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Do you like giant monsters? Or as they're called in Japan, Daikaiju? Monsters like Godzilla, Rodan, Gamera, King Ghidorah, or Mothra? Do you like more obscure monsters, such as Gappa or Yangari? Do you like giant heroes like Ultraman, or super robots like the Shogun Warriors? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then I think you might like my podcast, Earth Destruction Directive. I'm a dedicated fan of all things Daikaiju, and I'd like to share that with all of you. Please check out Earth Destruction Directive at 2 
DaikaijuDirective.com. Earth Destruction Directive, where we turn your Daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality. This has been an episode of Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. If you'd like to contact me, please email the show at botsbugsbabes at gmail.com. If you'd like to find me online, I'm on Facebook under my name, Jason Jacknetti. I often contribute to the Two True Freaks Facebook group. You can visit my Facebook page, The Art of Horror Collective, and you can search the hashtag, The Art of Horror Collective. On Instagram, find me under my name, Jason Jacknetti. And search the hashtag, The Art of Horror Collective, as well as the new hashtag, Bots, Bugs, Babes Podcast. I'm the only one using them. I'm also on Twitter, at Jason Giaconetti. And you can visit my webpage at www.theartofhorrorcollective.wordpress.com. All movies, characters, stories, music, etc. are properties of their respective holders. This is a fan work, and any use of any property is purely for review discussion, entertainment. So don't sue me. I ain't got anything anyway. There is no tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. Will you stop?